Hi, ladies. Welcome to our last day of Women in the Word for the spring semester 2023. Um, it's gone fast for me. I hope you feel the same way that we've just whizzed through the last 16 weeks together. I'm Shelley Davis, part of the teaching team, and you know I love women in the Word and love being here with women who have their Bibles open around the table, so thank you for being here. We are going to take just a few weeks off in May. I think May is one of the busiest months of the year for all of us. But we are going to return with Summer Women in the Word at the West Campus on Wednesday evening, May 31st, and at the Fort Worth and South Campus on Thursday evenings, June 1st. So it's going to be a great study of our teachers' favorite stories in the New Testament. Summer is always an awesome time to come to the Bible study, bring your friends and neighbors, and just enjoy a relaxed time of studying God's Word together. Plan on being there. I think you'll have the information up on the website so that you can register. Now, there's a classic children's book that if you have kids or grandkids, you may have read. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And the message in this book and the movie that was made about it is, you know, we all do have those terrible, horrible, bad days occasionally, but we live through them, and we can move on even after a terrible, horrible, bad day. Just move on. But as we look at David's incredible psalm of praise in chapter two to get 22 together uh, today, that's not really his message, is it? Just move on. And we know that David has had more than his share of terrible, horrible, no good, bad days. If you think back on his life, we know that he was hunted by Saul for 10 years. He fought enemy after enemy as Israel's king. He had his own problems with sin, didn't he? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed. He made many, many missteps as a dad. And that led to the deaths of several of his children. And last week we saw that uh, he had a plague that he had to deal with for the entire nation of Israel. David's life has not been trouble-free. It hasn't just been a bad day. He needs to move on from as the king of God's choosing and the forebear of our future perfect king, Jesus. David's message in chapter 22 to all of us is that regardless of the hardships that we face in life, our God is always worthy of praise. Always. He's always with us. He's always powerful, always carrying out his plan in our lives. So let's take a look at David's praise for his worthy God. Look at uh, verse 1 in chapter 22 with me. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So we don't really have a date as to when uh, David actually wrote this psalm, um, but we do see that it is celebrating the fact that God has delivered him from all of his enemies and from Saul. So we know that it is after 
Uh, he has taken over the kingship of Israel. We also think, uh, theologians also think that it was written later in David's life and then included by the author of 2 Samuel as kind of an appendix, an addendum to the story of David's life. Uh, the same words that are written here in chapter 22 uh, are also uh, written and recorded as Psalm 18 in the Psalms. It's word for word, practically Psalm 18 written by David. It is David's longest Psalm. You may want to take time later to go back and read Psalm 18. We also see here that he does the interesting thing of separating Saul out from his enemies. I don't know about you. I would have considered Saul an enemy if he'd tried to kill me, but David continues to honor Saul as God's anointed king by separating him when he talks about his enemies. It's also insightful, if we think about David's story, uh, that we see two great psalms of praise here. We see Hannah's psalm of praise at the beginning of 1 Samuel. You looked at that in your homework, I think, which opens the story of Israel's uh, quest for a king in 1 Samuel. And then we see this great psalm of praise, which mirrors Hannah's words, at the end of David's kingship. So we have these two psalms of praise as bookends that to all that has happened from Samuel's divine birth that opens 1 Samuel through David's divine kingship. And Hannah ends her song of praise with a prophetic prediction. She wasn't really a prophet, but she makes a great prophecy at the end of her psalm of praise that we see fulfilled in David's life. And he actually proclaims these words in his psalm here. Look at 1 Samuel 2.10 on your verse sheet. The adversaries of the Lord, this is Hannah speaking, shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You know, Israel didn't even have a king when Hannah wrote these words about God um, protecting and giving strength to his king. And David's poem of praise shows Hannah's words are actually fulfilled, doesn't he? Uh, he? David does describe both God's thunder against his adversaries and the strength that God gives David throughout his kingship. So let's read some of those words. Look at verse 2. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies for the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. So David begins his psalm of praise here with eight great metaphors. He uses fortress, rock, deliverer, refuge, shield, Horn of Salvation, Stronghold, and Savior in the ESV. And these are such descriptive words, strong words, 
that show us this is David's picture of God. When David thinks about God and who God is in his life, this is how he pictures him. And you know, it also shows us that David doesn't see himself as a mighty king in his psalm of praise. He never talks about his wisdom, his great victories, uh, the things he did in his kingship. Instead, David sees himself as a king with a mighty God, a God who protects him whenever he calls out to him. And David calls out to him often. Without a doubt, David had enemies. He had enemies throughout his life, and they constantly sought his death. But even in the face of death, which he talks about here, David sees the Lord as someone who is actively moving against his enemies. Not only is the Lord an immovable rock, which is a force to be reckoned with if you've ever had to move a large rock, he sees him as an aggressive horn of salvation, just which is a picture of a horn with bulls that attack any threat. When my husband was in vet school, I went with him to the animal barns one day to treat animals, and there was a long, long horn that was calving and having difficulty not doing well. And I closed my eyes as he climbed in that pen with that long horn, who was constantly swinging her horns and trying to spear anyone who got near her. That is David's picture of the Lord, a great horn of salvation protecting him. And we've seen God's protection of David throughout his kingship. We looked, we read about him in 2 Samuel when he faces all of the Philistines in battle after becoming king over Israel, and God gives him the victory. Look at 2 Samuel 5 on your verse sheet. 19, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into, give the Philistines into your hand. So David believes with all his heart that God is his protector, God, a defensive refuge, a shield, a savior with constant intervention. Um, that saved him. God's protection was also very personal to David. He calls out to his protector, God, in faith. He knows he can have that one-on-one conversation with the Lord whenever he is threatened. We actually saw David's personal faith a few weeks ago when he fled Jerusalem as Absalom came in to the city to take over the kingship from him. Do you remember what happened when the priests brought the ark to David? What did he tell them? I don't need the ark. Take the ark back. My God goes with me as my protection wherever I go. If he wants me to return, I will return. He knew without a doubt God was his shield and his protector wherever he went. So, As we read David's incredible words of praise for his protector, God, I want us to do the same thing David did. I want us to begin to write our own psalm of praise as we finish our study. One of the questions in your homework was, what is reading about David's life meant to you? I want us to begin to be psalmists as well, praising the Lord for what he's done in our lives. So 
Although I'm not a huge journaler, I do think that it helps me when I write down the words that remind me of who God is actually in my life. Because if I don't write them down, I forget them. So my encouragement to myself and to each one of us today, as we finish up 2 Samuel together and read David's psalm of praise, is to grab a notebook and a pen, or even maybe a great journal app on your phone. They have some wonderful ones these days. And write down what are the words that you would use to describe God's protection and intervention and work in your life. Write them down in your own psalm of praise. And after writing them down, don't just close the book and forget them. Our world is a dangerous world, isn't it? A hard place to live in today. So remember those words by praising God, using those words every day. Let those words remind you who God truly is in all of our lives. And just like David, we can praise him for being our protector God. Let's read some more of David's great words. Look at verse 8. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. And smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. And drop your eyes down to verse 14. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them. Lightning and lightning unrouted them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. Now what David goes on to do here is describe God's great power with imagery that proclaims without a doubt that the Lord is the one who controls the heavens and controls the earth. He's vastly superior to all things human. No human could do any of this that David describes here in his psalm. And even though many of David's words here seem to describe a physical earthquake, when he talks about the earth reeling, the smoke and the fire, it was David's enemies that were shaken by God's incredible power and sent reeling. And it wasn't the physical landscape that was changed by David's pleas. It was the political landscape of Israel that God rearranged through his mighty power in response to David's cries to him. Over and over in 2 Samuel, we have seen God's power bring victory to David instead of the death and destruction that even David, I think, expected in his life from his enemies. Look at 2 Samuel 5.20 on your verse sheet. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. I think every time David went out to battle, he saw and acknowledged God's overwhelming power every time he had an amazing victory. My parents actually lived in the hill country for several years near the peaceful and serene Blanco River. It was such a great place to take your inner tubes and just take your kids and then float around a little bit because 
It was a really calm and serene river. I even took my boys when they were littles and never worried about them. Um, But on Memorial Day weekend in 2015, a dramatic and sudden flash flood described as a tidal wave of water by everyone that experienced it swept down that very peaceful, serene Blanco River around midnight, um, and it carried every house on the banks of the Blanco River downstream, crushing it in that tidal wave of uh, water, and 15 people lost their lives that night just sleeping peacefully on the banks of a peaceful river. The plower of that flood was and the destruction that it brought was hard to imagine. The picture I had in my mind was of that lazy, calm, serene river. Um, David describes God's power here with the same hard-to-imagine imagery. He saw God's power in action time and time again, defeating his enemies like a flood before him, a tidal wave of God's power that swept through all of his enemies. And David was so awed by God's power that he saw over and over again that he uses these uh, great words, the earth rocked and reeled, the heavens trembled. I think his words here that we see describing God's power uh, should be remind us that we need to be awed by God's power in our lives every day as well. So I want us to keep writing that psalm of praise. I asked you to start a few minutes ago, and I want you to continue by praising God for the evidence of his overwhelming power that you see and witness in your life every day. Um, And the truth is, we all witness God's power every day, don't we? We see the sun rise and set every day. What an incredible uh, display of God's power. The waves on a beach that I hope we all have a chance to sit on this summer, that is evidence of God's power as well, just listening to them crash. I passed this amazingly long truck on the highway the other day. It seemed like it went on for blocks, and it was carrying a single blade of a wind turbine. Have y'all seen those? Trucks, I mean, they're huge. And when you think about it, God's power, the wind, turns those incredibly long wind turbines um, every day. I want us, just like David, to be awed by God's power in our life. Write down what you see. It may be a small thing, some blessing he gives you that he accomplishes by his power alone. And then like David Praise God that he can use his immense power. He does use his immense power to overcome all of our obstacles, overcome our fears, rebuke our enemies. Our lives can be challenging today, can't they? With families and uh, kiddos and jobs and financial worries and everything else going on in the world. But God's power is truly able to overcome it. David saw that in his life every day. Look at John 16:33 on your verse sheet. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Just like David, let's remember God's power and be awed by it.
Okay, let's read a few more of David's great words. Look at verse 17. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of the waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, throughout David's Psalms, we see that David understands God's actions as caring and supportive. But the other thing we can glean from reading David's words here is we can glean that God is intentional and purposeful in David's life. God has a purposeful hand on David's life. If we look back at 2 Samuel chapter 7 that we read a few weeks ago together, we know God had a plan for David's life, didn't he, that was bigger than just keeping him from life's hardship. There was more to God's plan for David than simply ensuring that he didn't have a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. God had a plan for David to become king. And then his plan for David to become king also included that David's family would become a dynasty that would never end. And out of that dynasty would become an even bigger plan as it resulted in our Lord Jesus who would come from the line of David and who would eventually reign forever as the perfect king on David's throne. God had a purpose for David. Look at 2 Samuel seven sixteen, And your house and your kingdom shall be, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What an amazing purpose God had for David's life. Um, David's words here remind us that God's hand was always on David, preserving his life, but not just for his own sake. God was preserving David's life for kingdom purposes as well. And it is God who purposefully takes David from the pasture to the palace for his purpose. And we see God make David's ordinary life extraordinary. And God's purpose for David's life has also meant that God's extraordinary purpose has been fulfilled in our lives as well. Look at John 1, 12 on your verse sheet. This talks about the fulfillment of God's purpose in our life as well. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. God's purpose for David has fulfilled an incredible purpose in our lives as well. We've become part of God's plan through his plan for David because of God's perfect King Jesus. Okay, look at verse 21 with me in David's psalm. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. Now, I don't know whether you were like me, but when I first began to study this and read these verses, I thought, David has a brain tumor. He's obviously forgotten all of the things that he did that 
colored outside the law, the lines of God's law, uh, when he turned away in sin um, from the Lord, uh, how could he not remember that and write these words? Well, what we have to remember are more than just his missteps with his family, his sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah. What we have to remember is that David was never going to be made righteous by his own actions, was he? He was never going to be perfect. All of us are made righteous, not by our own deeds and not by the sinless life that we lead, not by our perfect management of the law. Um, David understands that he was never righteous by his own life and his own works. The righteousness he's talking about here that comes into his life is through faith alone, because just like the patriarch Abraham, he was made righteous only by his faith in God. Look at Romans 4, 2 on your verse sheet. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David, who also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts as righteousness apart from works. That's exactly what David's doing here. He's speaking of the blessings that have come into his life because God has counted righteousness to him in his life as a result of his faith. It was simply David's faithful pursuit of God and God's law and truth throughout most of his life that allowed God's blessings to flow into his life. It was nothing more. And we saw David make huge mistakes. But if you look closely at David's life, you know every mistake was followed by his repentance. He sought God's forgiveness and God's mercy. He sinned, but we never see David turn his back on God. We never see David um, turn away from God, even in his greatest sin. These are David's words written probably after his sin with Bathsheba. Look at Psalm 32.5 on your verse sheet. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions, transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David's life of faith simply resulted from the fact that um, his righteousness was counted to him, not because he lived a perfect life, but because of his constant, unwavering faith in the perfect God, even in sin, he had faith in his God. And David records God's purposeful blessings right here in chapter 22, purposeful blessings that came into his life, not because he lived a perfect life, but because he lived a life of faith and repentance. Look at a couple of those blessings with me. Look at verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And we saw David be merciful over and over again, didn't we? And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. Look at verse 28. You save a humble people. David's life of faith has resulted in these kind of blessings in his life, and he sees them. He remembers them. 
and he praises God for his mercy and his purity and his salvation. He praises God for his purposeful work in his life. Look at verse 29 with me. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over the wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. David knows that it is God that lights his way because it's God that lays his path. David recognizes God's hand in his life as he gives him success against every obstacle. There wasn't an army that David couldn't defeat with God's gracious hand on him. It was God who made David's ordinary life extraordinary. So I want us to keep writing that psalm of praise that we've already started. I want us to continue by considering, just like David, how has God made our ordinary lives extraordinary? And he's done that for everyone in the room. And he's, we've all been saved, or those of us that trust Jesus have been saved, and we've been given the gift of eternal life through Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone. He's at work in all of our lives according to his purposes. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives as well. So just like David, spend a few moments in the next days contemplating how has God made your ordinary life extraordinary and then praise him for the plans that he's had for you, not the plans that you've had for yourself, but his plans and his work in your life. All of us have God's fingerprints just like David all over our lives and our futures. Okay, read a little more of David's praise with me. Look at um, verse 33. This God is my strong refuge, and he has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He have, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me. My feet did not slip. Now, if we had time to read all the rest of these verses in chapter 22, we would see more of David's great praise. And we would also see how in the rest of these verses, David actually connects God's great attributes to a specific way that God has worked and will continue to work in David's life. David gets it that everything that God is, his rock, his shield, his refuge, his deliverer, all of those things that we see him praise God for in verses 2 and 3, David sees that God has used those attributes um, in specific ways in his life. Through God's attributes, David sees that he was made swift, he was made strong, he was made talented, victorious, brave, exalted, delivered, and more, simply because of who God is 
um, his rock, his refuge, has done that for him. David recognizes not only God's great attributes, he also recognizes that he uses those great attributes to make a difference in David's life because of God's steadfast love for him. It was God's steadfast love for him that causes him to use all of those things to revolutionize David's life and his future. David sees God as a personal God, a loving God, a God who sees him no matter what, who knows his challenges, who knows his needs and shows up for him. In all of these circumstances, David saw God's steadfast love for him. You know, the disciple John who wrote uh, the Gospel of John, if you're familiar with it, you know that he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And there are people that read the Gospel of John and they feel like, wow, he was prideful and he was arrogant to call himself that. But um, I had the opportunity to study John's gospel a few years ago. And, you know, after I studied it, I always thought just the opposite. I've always thought that John simply knew Jesus's love for him was the only thing that mattered in his life. Um, It was the only thing that mattered. So he stopped calling himself by name in the gospel. He was simply the disciple that Jesus loved because it was his only worthwhile identity. Jesus's love was personal for John, and that's exactly what we see here with David in his praise psalm. God's love for him was personal. It was his only worthwhile identity as well. It wasn't David's success and his kingship that mattered to him. What mattered was that God loved him and that God was with him no matter what he faced. What mattered is he felt God's love as God trained him and strengthened him and delivered him and sustained him. God's love was very personal to David as it should be to all of us. Look at Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in our Christ Jesus. And for that great, personal, steadfast love that God has lavished so completely in David's life, David chose to always praise God. Look at verse 50 with me. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So just like David, we will do well to remember God's steadfast love in our life. I want us to continue our psalm with one more stanza, just like David, writing down the ways God shows his personal love to us, just to us, day in and day out. My dad passed away not very long ago, just a week or so ago, and his funeral was last week. And 
You know what I remember about that time? Despite all the sadness, I remember the incredible ways that God showed his steadfast love as we made preparations and I had family come in and out of town and lots of things to deal with. I could see just the little ways God had stepped in because he loved me and did things during that time that no one else probably noticed. But what I knew is God was doing it for me. It was his steadfast love and care for me, his personal hand on my life in a time that he knew I was sad. So let's not forget to praise God for those times that he shows just you his steadfast love um, and praise him for his salvation, for our salvation like David does and the blessing that eternity, we're all going to get to spend eternity in that steadfast love. Okay, we've finished David's beautiful song of praise, but we're not quite finished with David's story. We have a couple more verses to finish up as we read David's last recorded words. Look at chapter 23 with me. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Okay, so these are not David's last spoken words, actually. If you go to 1 Kings, you can see of some of his spoken words, but they may be his last recorded written words, his literary legacy to Israel, uh, which is much like Moses' last words in Exodus chapter 32 and 33. So the ancients regarded anyone's last words as being very important and significant, but the last words of Israel's kings and prophets were especially significant, and David was both. He was Israel's king and prophet. And he starts out here with a genealogy of sort uh, in his last words that proclaim the truth, that we've talked about over and over again. It was God that took him from a simple family to the king of God's choosing. There was no way, way else that could have happened. It was God. David knew that he was not a self-made man. He was not a self-made man. He was the Lord's anointed. He was the psalmist who spoke often with God and from God. All David ever saw himself was as an instrument in God's hand. And he makes that known in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 3. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of the Lord, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass sprout from the earth. You know, David clearly believes that he was not ever speaking his own words. He was speaking words that had been given by God. The other thing he truly believes is that he, as the king, is not really the ruler of Israel. God himself is Israel's true ruler. And the wisdom that God gives David here is that a righteous ruler, one who rules in fear of the Lord, is just like the morning sun, and the rain, um, the morning sun and the rain, they're full of promise and joy and blessing. Rain brings prosperity and new life to the people. 
my family lived in London for uh, a while years ago, and when we lived in London, we were always amused at how the Londoners would flock to the park the minute the sun came out. I mean, if the sun peeked through, they were in Hyde Park, and they took off their clothes. The men would take off their shirts and roll up their pants legs. They saw sun so seldom that they knew they craved it. They needed it. And that's exactly what David is talking about here. The sun, the brightness, the joy, the life-giving sun is what we all need. And most theologians believe David is not talking about his kingship here. He's talking about the Messiah that we all need. And certainly his words here remind us that the future perfect king of Israel, the Messiah, will be life-giving, will bring light, will bring joy, blessing, new life. David's description of this king certainly fits the future perfect Messiah. Okay, we have only two more, a couple more verses. Read verse 5 with me. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear. They are utterly consumed." So David finishes his final words here, um, reminding all of his readers, us included, that evil men are going to be cast aside in judgment when the Messiah, which he was just talking about, comes. When the Messiah rules through God's everlasting covenant. We also see, um, which I love here, David's astonishment in verse 5. He's astonished that God has chosen him and included him in this everlasting covenant, a covenant that guarantees the future of his dynasty, a covenant that promises prosperity, a covenant that will bring the future Messiah and perfect king to the world. David's final written words here really share his heart of amazement of God's undeserved favor in his life. And David's astonishment at God's unmerited favor, I think should mirror our astonishment today too at being included in God's plan of salvation because that is what has happened. Just like David, we have been given God's salvation by grace through faith alone. It's a gift. It's a gift. So I want us to finish our psalm, finish writing down your words of praise with joyful astonishment at being included in God's plan of salvation. Um, I think that was an amen. Um, (laughs) Write down all the ways God's perfect King, Jesus Christ, has made a difference in your life. We could fill pages of how Jesus has made a difference in our life. Be astonished, just like David what God has done in your life through the gift of his perfect king. And then let's remember to praise God for the gift of Jesus, God's perfect king, in our lives and in our world. Look at one last verse with me, 1 Corinthians 30. And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us 
wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Just like David, let's be women who write down our psalm of praise, boasting in the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we do praise you. We praise you for your power. We praise you for your purpose in our life. We praise you because you protect us. We praise you because you're personal and perfect in our lives. Father, um, I praise you for the work that you've done, not only in my life, but through the lives of all the women that have studied your scriptures this semester. Lord, I ask you and pray that your hand of favor would stay on us, that you would keep us safe, that you would guide us, that you would be um, a lamp to our feet. Thank you so much for this time together in your word and for the truth of our salvation. I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, ladies.